All right. Good morning, everybody. Good to see all of you today. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Tonight we'll have a missionary coming, Peter Harris. He's a missionary to South Africa, just coming to share uh, his work uh, with us. It's not uh, for the purpose of taking him on as a a monthly support uh, or anything, but he's so aligned with us theologically. Uh, I I really just wanted to hear about the work that he's planning to do. and Perhaps we can give him a love offering from our missions fund that we have set aside already. But I want to invite... And all of you out for that tonight, really encourage you to be here to hear from Peter Harris, who uh, he and his wife and I think little boy will be here with us tonight sharing about the work that they hope to do. He's actually from South Africa. He came here to be uh, educated, has gone to Southern Seminary, and then wants to return back to South Africa to plant a healthy church and then help churches become um, healthy there. So come out tonight, if you would, for that. Um, <clears throat> 1 Thessalonians, I'm going to start reading at verse tw- verse 9, and we're just going to go through verse 12 today. If you're wondering how in the world we got to this point already in 1 Thessalonians, all the way over in chapter 4, it's because my goal is to move a little more uh, quickly through 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Um, we could easily still be in chapter 1, uh, okay? We could easily still be in chapter 1 in the first eight verses, but really did not want to get bogged down in, in, in this letter or in Second Thessalonians either one. So we're moving sort of briskly through them. And I hope in, even in doing that, it will help us uh, remember the message of the entire book a little bit uh, better. First Thessalonians chapter 4, I'll start reading at verse 9. If you'd follow along in your copy of God's Word. This is the Word of the Lord. But concerning brotherly love... You have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. I'd like to share with you a message after I pray, entitled, Concerning Brotherly Love. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, I come to you today in Jesus' name. Father, the one who is the faithful witness, who is the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. It is, Lord, the one, him, Jesus, who loved us and washed us from our own sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. And Father, I pray to God, to Jesus, be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. And Father, may that dominion and glory be found here in this fellowship among our love for one another. As your word 
helps us to be conformed into the image of Jesus more and more. We pray it would happen today. And Father, I pray for uh, all of our people, for our men, that they would be men who stand fast in the faith and who are strong. Lord, men who are courageous to lead their families. And Father, men who do all that they do in love. For our women, Lord, as they care for their homes, as they work diligently, as they labor. Father, many caring for families, others caring for their homes and for their husbands. Lord, I pray that all that they do will be done in love. Love for one another and love for you. I pray for our children. Lord, I thank you for the many children you've blessed this congregation with, from the youth to the children. Father, I pray for each of them that they all would believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Lord, that they would grow to be fully devoted followers of Jesus in their lives so that one day when they have families, husbands, wives, children, that they're leading those families to you. So, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing among us. And I just pray that your word today would continue, Father, to edify us and to transform us. Thank you for this gathering today. It is a privilege to be here. Bless me and help me as I seek to deliver your word now. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so concerning brotherly love is what we're going to talk about today from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. You will note in looking at verse 9, and then you can go to verse 13. You see something um, sim- something that's the same there in verse 13. He says, concerning those who have fallen asleep. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, but concerning the times. So it's three times here where Paul uses <clears throat> this word concerning, much as he does in 1 Corinthians where he uses it six times, from chapter 7 to chapter 16, verse 12, where he's dealing with particular issues that were brought up to him by the church. The church in Corinth, he learned about these issues because of a letter that was written to him. When it comes to 1 Thessalonians, he apparently learned about these issues because of an oral report that Timothy had given to him about the church in Thessalonica. So he is now beginning to address at least three of those things that are brought up. And the thing that he is addressing here to the Thessalonians is this topic of brotherly love. And the first thing, well, as you look in here in verse 9, I'll, I'll just point out to you that there are two words in the, in the Greek that are used for love here. The first, thing, the first word that we see is a phileo or phileia. And it's the one that is compound with Delphia or Delphos for brotherly love. Where you see the phrase brotherly love, it's the Greek word Philadelphia. Where we have the city of Philadelphia here in the United States, it is the city of brotherly love. And here you find that word, if you were to look behind it and see the Greek word that's found there, it'd be Philadelphia. But then you go down to the next word where it says you're taught by God to love one another. The word that's used there is the word agape or agapao. 
in this uh, passage. So it is the most commonly used word for love in the New Testament. Both of those are found here. And what we're going to see first of all here is that love is taught. When we're looking at this topic of love, we see that love, number one, is taught. In verse 9, he says, But concerning brotherly love, Philadelphia, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. So here's what we see in this text. We see that it was to you yourselves. They were taught this to you yourselves. It's emphatic. It's used previously in verse chapter 3. Uh, chapter 3, verse 3, for you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. He's emphatic about this. You yourselves are taught by God. And you see, secondly, that it is by God. This love that is taught is taught by God. We're going to go back and revisit that here in just a moment. I'm going to go ahead and give you the last point, sub-point here. But the last thing we see here is that it was for one another. They were taught by God And it's to love one another. Or this being taught by God is that we might love one another. Now I want to dive into this just a little bit. When you see that part about it being us being taught by God, listen folks, this is a supernatural thing that God does in our lives. To give us the love that He has. If you're taking notes this morning and you want to write down another reference or two, you can write down John chapter 6 verse 45. In John chapter 6, 45 different contexts he's not talking about love but here he's talking about being drawn to jesus christ by the father in verse 44 no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and i will raise him up at the last day it is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by god therefore everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me The point here is that God is not setting us down and saying, all right, you look at these commandments in Scripture and it says you are to love one another, therefore love one another. It's more of an inherent thing that happens within us where God teaches us, He inherently gives us this love for one another as believers. In my notes, I actually have the means kids as an example. You know, thinking about you guys, did anybody have to teach y'all to love Levi? Your parents didn't have a class. All right, this is how you're going to love little Levi. This is how you're going to feel that inside of you. Anna, that did, Annabelle, that didn't happen, did it? You just, did you just naturally love Levi? You just adore him, right? I hear that he doesn't ever get to like sit down by, not sit down, but lay down by himself because people are always loving him. Why? Because you just inherently have this within you. And that's the way it is with Christians. We are taught by God. How did that happen? If you go back, Here in 1 Thessalonians, you see at the end of verse 8, where he says, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Write down this reference, Romans chapter 5, verse 5. In Romans 5, verse 5, it says, Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. 
who was given to us. How do we suddenly have this love within us for one another? It's because the Holy Spirit has poured out that love in our hearts. God has poured out that love in our hearts actually by the Holy Spirit who He has given to us. We have that Spirit abiding within us as believers. Therefore, we are able to love one another. Therefore, we are taught by God to love one another. Now, I'm going to, I would be amiss if I did not point out to you some references from 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, we learn these things about love. 1 John 3, 16, he says, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. How are we, how do we know love? It's because Christ laid down his life for us. In chapter 4, verse 7, we learn about love there where he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. In verse 10 of chapter 4, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation means satisfaction of wrath. Satisfying the wrath of God. And then in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, he says, We love Him because He first loved us. You see, love that we have. And listen, folks, I hope that we experience love among ourselves here at New Life Baptist Church. Let us remember that the reason that we can do that is because God has taught us to love one another. I've written down a lot of things because this topic of love is vast in the, in the Bible. And I've just written some phrases down. I've got to go through them quickly. If you want these, I'll give them to you. Please do not try to take notes. About love in the New Testament, it is commanded. It ought to be done because of how God loved us. Love is of God. Everyone who loves is born of God. God is love. If you don't love, you don't know God. Love is the greatest. Love must be put on. Love is the bond of perfection. In it, we bear one another. We bear with one another. Through it, we serve one another. Love is not to be hypocritical. Love is kind. It suffers long. It does not envy. It keeps no record of wrongs or thinks no evil. By it, all men will know who disciples of Jesus are. Love takes no vengeance. Love bears no grudge. Love is the fulfillment of the law. The thing that we owe to all men is love. Love does no harm to a neighbor. All that we do should be done in love. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up. It does not behave rudely. It rejoices in truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Our deeds, our love rather, is to be done in deed and in truth, not in word or in tongue. 
Our love assures our hearts before God and love never fails. See, beloveds, our knowledge may fail. Our giftings may fail because they will not be needed anymore. But since God is love, love will always be a part of who we are. Our knowledge now is not perfect. We still see in a mirror dimly, but we will not go wrong with love. It never fails. So love is taught to us by God. Point number two is this. Love is occurring. We see that in this text. In verse 10, he says, And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. All right, that's it right there, part A of verse 10. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. Now, a little pop quiz for y'all this morning. Does anybody know any other churches that would have been in Macedonia? I'm, so, I'm sorry, I can't hear. Philippi, right? Philippi, Berea. All right, these are at least a couple of different cities that would have had churches in them. We learn about that in the book of Acts, how the gospel went there and people were saved. The church was founded. And now he says to the church here in Thessalonica, indeed, you do so. What do they do? They show brotherly love. They show the love of God toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. I'm not exactly sure how they were doing that. We could guess at some things, but they were doing that. He, As Paul writes to them, this Thessalonian church was doing it, and that's good. Now, as we think about that among ourselves, we've seen this command right here in verse 9 about brotherly love and about the love of God being taught to us. Then I think about New Life Baptist Church and love that is occurring here at this church. And, you know, I think about some of these things like cards being sent, notes being written, deeds being done. And all those are good, by the way, cards and notes that are encouraging. Uh, Deeds that are done, meals prepared and delivered, messages of encouragement and exhortation, gifts, both financial and material to one another to help one another and encourage each other hospitality where homes are opened up to receive uh, other families into your into homes uh, forgiving one another of offenses um, admonishing one another uh, because of goodness and knowledge that is within us as the scripture says we're able also to admonish one another service to one another um, some of which is never seen there's things happen that happen at this church where people serve us as a congregation, and nobody ever knows who does it. But yeah, or very few people know who do it. But yet they serve us as a congregation in uh, love. That's what motivates them. Hours spent sometimes in conversations to um, perhaps bring reconciliation or peace or for the purpose of discipleship, time and investment rebuke of one another, reproof of one another, upholding the weak who are in the congregation, bearing with the scruples of one another, the weaknesses of each other, because some of us are weak in the faith and some of us are strong in the faith, and that could change at any moment depending on what the topic is. 
love among our youth. Think about our a great group of young people that we have here and the way that they uh, fellowship with one another in a wholesome way and love one another. And I think about our, our youth and the little babies and children and how our, our youth are all the time holding these babies and walking around with them here at the church and spending time with them and, and the young, young toddlers. And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's a wonderful display of, of love. You think about submission of uh, wives to their husbands. That is a display of love, and it's good for us as a body. You think about husbands leading their wives. That is a display of love. Now think about submission to church leadership. And there's an example, actually, that came up uh, recently on this where someone was, uh, you know, we're talking about, you know, we changed the Sunday school structure a little while back. And some of you, believe it or not, didn't like that too much. Uh, but uh, one person who, who, you know, didn't really like that too much, but I was talking to this individual and um, their response was, or their, their thought process was, you know, I don't really like this decision that was made, but uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be submissive, going to do what the elders think is best. And I trust that if it's not working out for the best of everyone, that the elders will change things, that they'll adjust it. And I thought, how loving that is. That even though someone doesn't necessarily agree with the leadership, but yet they're able to say, I'm going to wait and see, and um, I'm going to submit and trust, and I'm, I'm going to continue to trust that they will adjust and make decisions that are in our best interest as a church. That, that's loving, and that is a wonderful thing to, to hear, and it's very encouraging. All these ways, I hope, are ways in which love is displayed here, and there are many more. I know I'm missing a lot of them. But I also want to point out to you that our love extends to other places. Just like the church in Thessalonica, their love was extending to other places, to the churches in Macedonia. You think about our love, it extends to the Philippines. It extends to Ecuador. It extends to Bangladesh. It has extended to Turkey, to a fellow church in Massachusetts to uh, ministries here in Huntsville and in Athens, where we are able to extend love to these places, to the body of Christ. Many times in those cases, it's through financial support that we can offer to them. So the church in Thessalonica, church, love was occurring because they had been taught by God to love one another and so we have been taught by God to love one another. It is occurring here and has extended from us to other places. Does that make sense to everybody? So love is taught. Love is occurring. And next we'll see love is needed. Because at the end of verse 10, 10b, the last half of it, we'll notice what Paul says. He writes to them and says, But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Okay? Now, that's, this is key here because we, we could say, Okay, we've been taught by God, we're good, all right? Uh, we're, we're, we have reached our limits on love. Because God taught us to love. 
We can say, oh, love is occurring. Okay, it's happening. We're good. Uh, We can't have that mentality. Because here's the deal. You can't max out love. You cannot max out learning to love one another with the love of God. And that's why he says here in verse 10, but we urge you. So you see in that how important it is. We urge you, that you incre- brethren, that you increase more and more. The word for increase here is the same word that we found in chapter 3, verse 12. If you'll glance back at it, here in his, I guess I called it a prayer, but in verse 3, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. The word used for increase in verse 10 of chapter 4 is the same word that's used for abound in chapter 3, verse 12 in my translation. So he is urging them, he's pushing them as much as he can to increase in love more and more, even though he's already told us in chapter 3, verse 12, that we are dependent upon the Lord. And may the Lord make you increase. So on the one hand, we realize that the Lord has got to make us increase. On the other hand, we've got to realize that we have got to increase. Sometimes the Lord will put circumstances in the life of a church to, to cause it to increase in love. Sometimes that's trials. Sometimes that's conflict. Sometimes that's difficulties within the body of Christ. And it's at those times that our love is tested. It's at those times that we will increase in love or we will draw back from love, one or the other. The thing about the Thessalonians, folks, is that they didn't have a church down the street that they could just go to if they didn't like what was going on in, in First Baptist Thessalonica. All right, they they couldn't just go down to Second Baptist. Uh, they were they were stuck with each other. And though it's good that there are so many churches, it's unfortunate many times in the life of the church in America that we can just drop the church family that we're a part of and go to one down the street. God's calling us first and foremost to increase in our love for one another. It's important. Now, there are three practical ways. And here's how I'm going to do this um, with this next part. I'm, I'm giving three practical ways. And I know the word Christian is misspelled on your handout. Um, I'm sorry, I shouldn't even have pointed it out. John, did you notice it yet? Lisa, all right, I just pointed it out for everybody. I shouldn't have said anything. But let me give you let me give you five ways from this text that love increases practically among us. Now, we go to verse 11 where it says that you also aspire. The word aspire means to aspire to a goal, to have an ambition. So you have an ambition. And what I've done to try to simplify this is I've just put all five of these things as under aspirations. If you want to argue about that, uh, I'll probably say you're probably right. Uh, but to try to simplify it, I'm 
just labeling them all as aspirations. Number one is this. Five practical aspirations of Christian love. Number one, you should have an aspiration to lead a quiet life. To lead a quiet life. And these are all pretty simple. They're out there in the, in the passage. The second one is that you should have an aspiration to mind your own business. In verse 11. We're going to go back and look at these briefly. I'm going to go ahead and give them all to you. The third thing is, you should have an aspiration to work with your own hands. Work with your own hands. The fourth one is, you should aspire to walk properly toward unbelievers. And then lastly, is you should aspire to lack nothing. Five aspirations, practical aspirations of Christian love. And you may say, well, why is all of that Christian love? How is that brotherly love? And the way that it is, is folks, if you're not living a quiet life, if you're living a disorderly life, if any one of us is living a disorderly life, it impacts the rest of us. If you're meddling in somebody else's business in the congregation, guess what? It impacts, his other, it impacts other people in the congregation and you're not being loving to, to one another. If you're not diligent and working and being productive in society, then you're not helping any of us. You are not loving us. And if you are not walking properly toward unbelievers, that could cause the testimony of the entire church to be tarnished. And then, if you are not able to provide for yourself, if you are lacking things because you're not working, if you're lacking things because you're not being diligent, then that draws from the resources of the church and that those things which the church has. Now, um, there's a lot to be said about uh, each of these, but let's, let's go into them a little bit. Uh, the first one, with leading a quiet life, the idea there is, to be quiet, to be restful, um, to remain silent. It re- usually refers to being quiet. Overall, one's life is not burdensome to others, to the community, to the church. And you might say, yeah, but Paul, when he was in Thessalonica, was accused of turning the world upside down. Who is he to say lead a quiet life? Well, here's the deal. He was doing what God called him to do. He was going and preaching the gospel. And yes, he was accused along with the other saints of turning the world upside down, but it wasn't because he was living a disorderly life. It was because he was doing what Jesus Christ had commissioned him to do. So that happens sometimes. With the minding your own business, aspire to mind your own business. You ever, in the, you know, working with your own hands. Y'all ever heard that phrase that uh, idle hands are the devil's workshop? I know a lot of us probably have. There's some scripture that doesn't, the Bible doesn't actually say that, okay? Just like it doesn't say good things come to those who wait, all right? That's not. But Proverbs 18, verse 19 says, He who is slothful in his work, is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. In Proverbs 16, 27, it says, An ungodly man digs up evil. 
and it is on his lips like a burning fire. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11, he says to them, For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner. All right, that's the opposite of a quiet life. First Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 3.11 For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now you'll notice what he says in verse 12 of first, 2 Thessalonians 3. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ, that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. Now notice this, verse 14. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person. And do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Why is Paul writing all this to the Thessalonians? What's going on there? There's something uh, that is typically associated with the Thessalonians, and that is this idea of um, an eschatological excitement, or as it has been also phrased, a parousia hysteria. In other words, they were... They were infatuated with the second coming of Jesus, apparently. So much so that they stopped doing things. They stopped working and they were just waiting on Jesus to come back. And while they're waiting on Jesus to come back, they began to get into other people's business and uh, meddle in other people's affairs. And guess what happens when that occurs? It causes problems in the church. And... Paul is therefore addressing these things right here in these passages, and we'll see it more later on as I've already read to you. Here's another reference for you. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15. There he says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody, in other people's matters. In other words, mind, they need to mind their own business. Don't suffer for being a busybody. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13. It says there about young widows. And besides, they learn to be idle. This is a negative comment about them. Wandering about from house to house. And not only idle but also gossips and busybodies saying things which they ought not. And now I'll remind you of Proverbs chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, let's turn there together. Proverbs chapter 6. Because you can see where these passages uh, take us, where people are idle Therefore, they start getting into other people's business. Once they get into other people's business, they begin to talk about it. They begin to say things that they ought not to say. And it's harmful to the church. It's not good. 
And this, these things come up in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16 and following. We find here six things that the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to Him. If you look at verse 17, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. Church, the Lord hates, yes, these things are even an abomination to Him. And perhaps as we think about First and Second Thessalonians and what's going on there in that church culture, we can see where those things would occur. I want to give you a word of um, admonishment because it, it's just uh, become just clear to me that when we begin to say things about other people, and, and you know, I'm not talking about good things, I'm talking about negative things about other individuals, or perhaps situations even in the church. And we talk about those things as though we have a perfect knowledge about them. When it's virtually impossible for you to have a perfect knowledge about something unless you are directly involved in it. Then you go about at that time potentially bearing false witness against someone. You're going out saying something about a situation when you really do not know. So you go and you bear false witness. And what happens as well? At the same time you're going about talking about those things, you're sowing discord. You're poisoning people's minds. Because someone who may have not thought negatively before, now suddenly thinks negative about somebody. Why? Because their mind got poisoned by you and the words that you've said. The goal for us, folks, is to be... Busy about the Lord's work. Warren Wiersbe has said this, and I'll just read the comment. It quotes some of the passages I've already read to you. But he says, Mind your own business and work with your own hands was what Paul commanded them. Idle people spend their time interfering with the affairs of others and getting themselves and others into trouble. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. 2 Thessalonians 3.11, different translation. But let none of you suffer as a busy body in other men's matters. 1 Peter 4.15 Believers, he says, who are about the Father's business, Luke 2.49, do not have the time or desire to meddle in the affairs of others. Unfortunately, he says, even a Bible class could become an opportunity for gossip so that you may pray more intelligently and a substitute for true Christian service. Even good things, if we're not careful, can become that. Folks, there's sometimes in your lives and your conversations, even with church members, where you need to tell yourself, mind your own business. I know what I just heard. But you know what? 
I'm going to mind my own business because that is not my business. And whatever business that is, you need to go and take care of it between you and the other person and don't be spreading it around to others. I'm going to mind my own business. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Because this is absolutely true. It's true for any church and it's true for New Life Baptist Church. We see these things to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands, to walk properly toward those who are uh, unbelievers or those who are outside and to lack nothing. Ultimately, church, our life is the goal here. The aspiration is that our life would not be a hindrance to the work of the gospel, but a help. Not a liability, but an asset to the gospel. We should not be leeches that suck the joy out of ministry, but a lover of the brethren who refreshes the saints and serves faithfully in our God-given role in the church for the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's because of this gospel, the gospel of our Lord, that we must have these things in mind. Because discord and meddling and the things that result from that detract from focus on gospel ministry through the church. Let it be our goal to keep the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as premier in our minds and in our lives and in this congregation. That we might truly, you know, be of one mind and of one spirit, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Finally, church, I want to say to you, you know, does, does our love have any holes in it, do you think? Have we arrived? What do you guys think? Have we arrived? We have holes in our love. We've got to learn to forgive better. We've got to learn to reconcile. We've got to learn to strive to be of one mind and of one spirit. There are ways in which we can increase more and more. So I want to ask you, will you today commit yourself to taking hold of the cords of love that God has taught us here at New Life Baptist Church. Take hold of those cords yourself and seek to, according to the authority of Scripture, increase more and more in our love for one another in the church. I pray that you will. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I forgot to tell everybody, but the Thessalonians did it. We saw it and we see it in 2 Thessalonians 1.3. The love of every one of you abounds toward each other. Oh Lord, I pray for the sake of the gospel. Uh, Lord, for the sake of that message that has saved us and through it, the love of God has been poured out in us. Lord, I pray that we would abound 
in love to one another and to all. In Jesus' name, amen.